0: When other podcasts start to suck, we will be just fine. It's Matt and Jesse, tell your friends, it's bagged and boarded time. Hello, welcome to Bagged and Boarded and I am proudly Matt Cohen. First off, I want to wish everyone a very 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 happy New Year's, you know, 2010. Who would have thunk it, eh? Uh this episode was intended to originally be broadcast on January 1st, but since I was in Miami attending a uh, string of fish concerts and Just on a a various amount of narcotics and pharmaceuticals and, you know, hippie dancing the night away, uh, I sadly could not get near a computer. But since I am back in Los Angeles and on a marginally less amount of drugs, I thought it would be a good time to drop our bagged and boarded year in review for you guys. Uh, Quick warning yes, Jesse's still on hiatus, but so is everyone else this week. That's right, you're, you're, you're. Wildest dreams or worst nightmares have come true. This is a me only episode. What it's gonna be is I'm gonna uh run you through my top ten movies of the year. You know, from from ten to one. I know it's very exciting, so if you had plans for the evening, obviously cancel them. Uh cook yourself a great dinner, um uh drink some candy and and just fucking just fucking get ready, cause it's fucking oh, it's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's fucking good. But really, though, 2010, how trippy is that, guys? You know, the the decade we, um, are not quite sure what to call, let's go with the thousands, is over. You know, I can remember, vividly remember New Year's Eve 2000. I was at Adam Brand's house. His parents were having a party. And I rung in the millennium watching, uh, the um, WWF um, telecast of Raw because uh, I suck at life. Honestly, I, I kind of do regret that in retrospect. You know, everyone has these cool millennium stories, and I got to see the introduction of Chris Jericho uh, into the uh, canon of sports entertainment. But but there you go. But ten years, you know, I, if if you would take if if I got in a time machine right now went 10 years into the past and told that, you know, New Year's Eve 2000, Chris Jericho watching Matt, that in the year 2010, I would be sitting in an apartment in Los Angeles, California, of all places, recording a podcast for a website on the internet. I wouldn't believe you because A, I had no idea what a podcast was, B, I lived in New York, and C, I'm genuinely mistrusting of visitors from the future, and I was at an early age. 2010 was a great capper to the decade that will define, you know, I think forever define who I see myself as a fan. You know, uh, this is when I really came came to age, if you will. Um, I'm 25, so let's see. In the year 2000, I turned who oh, fifteen. Yeah, that that that's that seems to be about the prime age for for music and TV and movies and just tastes to, to fly into one's brain. So yeah, I mean, this was a big decade for me, folks. And, um, this was a really big year, uh, possibly the biggest year in the decade that I could think of. You know, I I can't really think of that many years that that just put out such a fucking awesome amount of movies that, that, that seemed, uh, Custom tailored to, to my to my likings. You know, 1994 obviously is the big one. I, I, I say a lot, but um, other than 94, you know, 2010 really, really was the year of the good, in my opinion. And and it stems from movies to TV and comic books and music and and literature and all that. And before we get into the main crux of the episode, which is my my theatrical feature film top ten list of the year, I just want to run down. You know, a quick little maybe top five and some other uh, mediums that uh, that really stuck out to me in the year that was. All right, first off, television. And this is in no ranking order. I just basically jotted down the, the five shows that I really, really, really enjoyed watching this year. Um, First one off is, is going to be on the list. It's been on my list every year since its inception and will be... Oh, this year and it's last year, which which just bummed me out to think about. Of course, I am talking about Ugly Betty. No, I, I'm I mentioned, speaking of Lost, uh, the, the masterpiece by Mr. J.J. J. Abrams. Now, the, the, the release schedule is so erratic and fucked up with Lost that I'm not even positive we got any this year. That seems ridiculous. We had to have. The whole Jacob and... And the, the statue and all that flashback stuff with the man in black. Uh, that had to have been this year, I'm assuming. So, um, yeah, Lost to me is is the most event television of my life. Uh, this is the last year coming up right now, and I'm not excited. I've never been more excited for a TV show. As I am for every episode of Lost, but I mean, wow. Never, never more so than this last season coming up. The other constant in my life, television-wise, South Park. Uh... I'm not gonna lie, the last two seasons haven't been as brilliant as some of the past ones, but it's still consistently the funniest show, I think, in television, uh, history, yeah, I'm gonna say based on my personal taste, I laugh more at South Park, maybe Monty Python, but that's, you can't really compare, let's go with animated show, Captain Hyperbole says, uh, yeah, you know what I mean, I, the fact that Eric Cartman has now been with me since I'm in the sixth grade just makes me smile at night, and uh, I look forward to what Train Matt have in the future. What else do we got? Parks and Recreations. Now here's a show that I wasn't a huge fan of during the first season, um, missed pretty much the entire half of the second season during its initial broadcast, and then caught up on Hulu. You know what? This is the show that replaced the office for me. I no longer watch the office. Not that I don't like it, but it just kind of got to a point where I wasn't interested, you know, anymore. It was it was kind of the same. Parks and Recreations is 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 as good as The Office was at its best years, you know what I mean? And if anything, just watch it for Amy Poehler and Aziz Ansari, or if, fuck it, just Aziz. Tom Halverford should have his own show. Um, so Parks and Recreations. Now another NBC show. You know what? It's not even an NBC show. So I apologize to uh. Mr. Peacock, a Fox show actually that made the list this year, which I am uh, completely surprised about. At least based from what I knew of the show before it aired, is Glee, and I'm sure not the only. I'm not the only dude to say this, but that and and look, I am an open, liberal, loving person. That's the gayest show of all time, and I have no problem with that. But it's just incredible that I like it so much. And I've spoken to other dudes about this. And, and yes, like on paper, Glee is the anti dude show. For some reason, execution wise, it just makes me fucking smile, man. Maybe, maybe deep down in this um, comic book polluted soul, there beats the heart of a uh, musical theater geek. I, I highly doubt it because I don't. I, I fucking abhor musicals, but for some reason, Glee does it for me. And to polish off the list, a show that I have enjoyed for many years now, um, I don't know, let's put it this way, if you haven't heard of any of the other shows I've mentioned, you've definitely never heard of this one, and it's Top Gear, it's a British import, uh, and it's a car show, now I say car show, but I'd be lying, because yes, it's predominantly about cars, but it's so, so, so much more, in the, in the sense that No Reservations is, is technically about food, but it, it's so much more, um, Top Gear is uh, hosted by Jeremy Clarkson, James May, and uh, I, uh, Richard Hammond. Look at that! And they are three of the funniest dudes on, on TV. I mean, look, I don't really. Th- you don't even have to be into cars because I'm not. I'm not into cars at all. Like, I don't give a shit about the car segments. It's just an amazingly well produced, funny ass show. But I mean, well produced to the point that it's it's better looking than most. Big hundred million dollar action movies that come out of Hollywood. I mean, this is a slick, incredibly thought out, uh, surprisingly ambitious show. I mean, you you'll be watching it. They do a car review, and all of a sudden they'll be like, "All right, now for the next challenge, we have to race across the coast of Africa for for five days on um, bicycles and and you know cool stuff like that." So yeah, if you haven't seen Top Gear and you get BBC America, uh, check it out because it's it is it is the dopeness. So that's TV out of the way. Uh, Let's move on to this podcast namesake, uh, Comic Books, which is a subject that I will be talking about in depth in the next coming weeks um, with... Now, I know I I wanted to surprise you guys, but let's put it this way. A friend from the South might be making a return um, to address a very special issue in our lives. Basically, I don't want to spoil anything, but... um, Let's put it this way, in the last week where I would typically buy 33 or 34 comics, I bought five, and it wasn't a monetary issue, it wasn't wasn't any kind of issue, there was nothing preventing me from buying 33, I bought five on purpose. Now what could that possibly mean for the future of, of Matt Cohen and comic books and their love affair together? We will find out soon in the next few bagged and boarded, but... Before we do that and get into uh semi-depressing stuff. Not really depressing, kinda real, whatever. Let's go over my top five books of the year. Again, in no order. Um I wanna start off with a book that I believe I think it's on issue four of its run now. And like, yes, I'm gonna get some shit for uh for saying it, but whatever the man. I fucking love the book. Like, look, I'm a fan of the man's work, but I'm a I'm a bigger fan of his comic work than anything else. And not to say I don't like his other shit, but fucking I think his strength lies in his writing and I happen to like comic books. So it no coincidence that Batman Cacophony by excuse me wow. No. I fucked that up already. Batman Widening Gyre. See, I like the Cacophony too. Batman Widening Gyre by by Kevin Smith and Walt Flanagan is um is one of my favorite books of the year. I think Kevin is doing stuff with Bruce and Batman that that uh no writer's done in, in, in maybe ever, but, but definitely as long as I've been reading comics, you know, uh, if anything, Kevin Smith has managed to, to humanize the most inhuman fucking bastard in comic books, and that, that would be Batman, you know, he's a miserable motherfucker, and for once, we see that, yeah, there's a real guy there, and I think it's a stunning accomplishment, I think Walt's art is getting better and better by every issue, I, I love, I love the fucking rogue gallery that Kevin chose to use all the sea listers and stuff I just I, I just think it's a really 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 fun book and a love letter a love letter to to bat fans who are tired of heavy continuity event tie-in bullshit you know what I mean this is a stand Kevin is very good at standalone books that you you don't need thirty years of continuity to enjoy you just need to be able to enjoy a really good story and and you know as someone who's masterful at 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 handling characters and i I think we all know kevin smith is good at that so yeah batman widening gyre is uh if you haven't read it like pick it up definitely don't wait for the trade either because it's 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 good i feel i feel like some crazy shit's gonna go down i don't know he's leading us somewhere um number two well not number two but the second one uh you know what there's only been two issues or maybe three at this point but fuck it, I don't care. Like I laughed when I first saw it. Then I then I was as hesitant as everyone else. Then I picked up the book, Rick Remender's Franken Castle. Like yeah, look, I don't. I'll catch some shit. But but it's it's what I want in comic books. It's it's that's what my new that's what my new thing with comics is. You know, forget about forget about reading what you have to read and read read what you want to read. And what I want to read is freaking Punisher hanging out with monsters. Fighting, fighting, uh, like crazy Asian assassin guys, and and you know it's just Rick Remender. I've been a fan of Rick Remender since he um and Brian Posehn wrote a book called The Last Christmas. And I'm so so happy Remender getting mainstream cape work. You know what I mean? Like I think he's an awesomely original voice, uh, like Dan Slott. You know what I mean? A lot like Dan Slott actually. He reminds me of him, and just. There are two guys who you... I read a Rick Reminger book or a Dan Slott book, and I immediately know it's one of them, as opposed to the million nameless comic book writers that work for the big two that... that Like, I read their books, but would have no fucking clue. If you if you paid me, I couldn't tell you who wrote Moon Knight right now. Like, I know I used to be Charlie Houston because there was a whole uh, Carnival connection, I believe. But regardless, that was a bad example. Oh, uh, yeah, Castle. Then I go for Deadpool Merc with a Mouth. Uh... Deadpool's the new Wolverine, as far as like, let's stick him on any book and sell it. But I don't care. I'll buy him. Like I've been waiting twenty plus years for Deadpool to become one of the big tier characters in in comic books, and now that it finally happened, like, and that they're handling him well, I'll take it. You know, I went back and read some old Dead School, uh, old Dead School, old Deadpool comics. I had like I read the mini, uh, I read the Deadpool mini, like that first mini that came out or whatever recently and Deadpool is definitely a character that that doesn't really age well, and I only say that meaning his jokes are very, very topical, so I, I kind of like the new direction they're going with Deadpool is just a batshit insane guy, a little less pop culture reference machine because I, I feel like the books will hold up better over time. Uh, let's leave Marvel and DC for a minute and go to... Uh, DC for a minute. <laughs> Vertigo. Uh, Unwritten is a new book that, uh, the, uh, Vertigo Comics puts. Why am I fucking talking like that? I'm all crazy, man. I need, like, someone to bounce off of. This talking to yourself stuff is nonsense. Like, I always say I'd like to be schizophrenic for a day, but I'm fucking tired after 15 minutes. Maybe it's just my voice, regardless. Unwritten by, um, Joe Kelly. Uh, it's a book that, it's hard to describe unwritten to people, it, it's it's kind of like a real life it's like if Harry Potter, okay so imagine if Harry Potter was based on a guy named Harry Potter and there was an entire fan base based around that, you know, like the inspiration for the character was just as famous as the character well that's what you have with with Tom in the unwritten Tom is, Tom's father was a famous author who wrote a series of of children's books, and I don't want to give anything away, but it's, it's what if the books are real, ha ha ha, ha. what if, what if, you know, what if it wasn't pure fiction, and what happens to this dude in his 30s now, who has to deal with, um, both the world thinking he's one thing, and, and, and now thinking he's a fraud, and there's murder, and there's magic, and there's mystery, and there's a lot of literature references, which will always get me, you know, I'm a big book geek, so, um, so The Unwritten, check that out if you haven't. And for, for rounding off the year in funny books is probably my favorite book going today. And it is a book by Mr. Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King. And the book is called The Lock and Key. And they just put that by IDW. No, Lock and Key, uh, which is now on its second arc. If you haven't picked it up yet, I've certainly talked about it enough that, look, like, fucking pick it up. Dick, like, why do I talk if you're not going to listen to me? You know what I mean? I don't get not paid to do this for nothing. <laughs> uh, Lock and Key by Joe Hill. I don't want to give spoilers because I, I really think you should read, you, meaning every single person listening to this show, should read every single issue of Lock and Key. It's that friggin' special. Uh, family moves back home to their mom's, hometown to a house that isn't all it seems and let's put it this way there's some forces a little bit older than the house itself that that enter the fray and it's just it's it's a mystery you know it's a mystery in the truest sense it's it's a supernatural mystery it's not a superhero book there's no fights there's no capes there's no friggin' green goblin which is unfortunate because i do like green goblin you know i think everything could benefit from a little bit of the gob but uh but lock and key just just fantastic storytelling from dare i say it like the second coming of the master of of I don't even say horror cuz Joe Hill doesn't write scary like his father does. Joe Hill's got a little bit more always want to say like like youthful exuberance to his work where it's 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 a bit more imaginative in the sense that it's just kind of more fun. You know what i mean? You can sense you can sense the passion behind it or with King a lot of times he, he kind of lives in the macabre, where Joe Hill, he lives, he lives near the macabre. He visits the macabre quite often, but he goes home at night and, and sleeps on a futon. So, so yeah. Comic books! What about real books, you might be asking yourself yourself? Well, I read a lot of books, and honestly, I can't remember what was a new release and what wasn't. So let me just go off the top of my head. Um, Under the Dome by Stephen King. I think King's best work in in years, possibly since Desperation. Um, if you haven't read it yet, it's it's being compared to The Stand and its epicness. I I'll agree size wise, and maybe even thematically, but it's it's a whole other beast. It's something new for King. It's a departure. I really think from from the traditional Stephen King and the love. I just accidentally muted the microphone. I'm I'm lucky enough to have a new fancy uh, Blue Yeti microphone with a mute button, but I've never accidentally hit it before, so I guess it's a first for everything. Uh, Odd and the Frost Giants by Neil Gaiman. A, uh, kind of a kid's book. It's about a little boy named Odd who's a Viking who has to team up with Odin, Thor, and Loki in the form of a bear. I can't remember. A bear, a hawk, and a fox, I believe. Um, it's really short. It's like 100-something pages, and, I mean, it's, it's, the pages are like a paragraph each compared to a normal book but it's it's fun man you know neil gaiman gaiman can do anything uh comic books adult fiction screenplays i mean i'm i'm a, i'm a, i'm in love with that man's written words so uh it's no surprise that i enjoyed odd, odd and the frost giants as much as i did after the flood um by margaret atwood it's a follow up to a book called orcs and Crake she wrote uh quite a few years ago if you're not familiar with margaret atwood she is a Canadian author. Um it's funny, I'm not really into that many female authors, but but she is it's kind of a dy- she's kind of a dystopian author. She reminds me of Vonnegut in a way, but not as um a little more literarily sound than Vonnegut. I mean, I love Vonnegut, but his sentences were kind of silly. Uh no, these are real books. And after the flood is um it's an interesting concept. It's it's the tale of Oryx and Crake, her the previous book. But told from another perspective, so it's it's insights we didn't get the first time on on events that we already experienced and different perspectives on stuff so that that's kind of cool. Um, what else? I read a really cool fish biography by Peter Parks Bow. I had a lot of typographical errors and spelling mistakes and stuff, but uh I like fish a lot, so there's that, which actually leads me to our next thing, so that's books. I mean, I've read a ton of books. I can't, so don't ask me to remember every book I read, assholes. All right, Pigme by Polanuck. It was good. I say good because it wasn't great. It was a little disturbing, as all Polanuck should be. But uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't one of my faves. Music. Let's go to music. Speaking of fish, and uh, I have only heard one album this year. Meaning, I don't, I don't listen to new music at all. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I haven't for two, almost 10 years, probably now, you know, I'll gain maybe in five years from now, I'll hear an album from this year. Like I just now heard, I'm into Arcade Fire's, uh, funeral, which I think is a few years old, but I'm just now getting into it. So I, I work like that musically, but I did hear one new album this year and, uh, I'm a fan to say the least. It is joy by a band called fish. (laughs) Uh, if you're not a fish fan, you're not gonna like the album. If you're a fish fan, you already have it and have been to 20 plus shows this year. So, I mean, really kind of preaching to the choir on this one. But, um, you know what? Even if you don't like fish or haven't heard fish before, I wouldn't say it's the fish I would recommend listening to first, but it, it's it's good. It, it's kind of poppier. So maybe it is a little more accessible to, to a mainstream audience. So if you haven't heard it, go on YouTube or something and check out. Check out some cuts from Joy. I would recommend uh, a song called Stealing Time from the Faulty Plan or a song called Kill Devil Falls. I think those are really fun. And other than that, you know, uh, what happened this year? Shit. Podcast happened, you know, Bagged and Boarded. That's been fun. Uh, It's been a good year for for Bagged and Boarded as far as existing. Um, Vinyl Toys. Disney's got a new vinyl toy division called Vinylmation. They've been doing some cool stuff. Um, some park figures based on Disneyland rides and stuff. And other than that, I still like pizza. Pizza's still the number one. No, no, no. Bacon cheeseburgers number one. Pizza close second though. And for third, I think I go with the beignet or a, the Hawaiian donut I had at Festival Eight, which was fantastic. But uh, so that's that. And without further ado, folks, let's jump right into the important. The important, the important, the real top ten list that you, that you paid to hear. Uh, speaking of which, um, you can just post that. Five bucks to my PayPal or whatever. I appreciate it. Uh, happy holidays. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Cohen's top ten movies of 2009. Number ten. Watchmen. How appropriate that the film that started this year off should start off my end-of-year list, and of course that would be Watchmen, directed by Zack Snyder and written by David Hayter and Alex Say, based on the seminal graphic novel by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Now, Watchmen may not be a perfect film, but it's a damn perfect adaptation, as far as uh, translating one medium to another, and in this case specifically comic books to film, I don't think I can name a stricter and more faithful adaptation. I mean, sure, you've got you've got a few examples. You've got Sin City. Uh, you've got Lord of the Rings. If you're if you're going for other mediums, you know, from from literature or whatnot. But even those two, which which are pretty damn uh, uh, faithful to the original material, Watchmen blows away in terms of of, of giving the fans what they want. And, and Zack Snyder takes it to almost an obsessive level. Which, uh, with, with some time and with some repeat viewings, may actually hurt uh, the movie in terms of as a movie more than they might help it. But uh, for a comic book fan like me who's just basically looking for Watchmen on film, uh, it, 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 couldn't be, it couldn't be more perfect. Now, like I said, the movie's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's the best damn Watchmen movie uh, possible, if that makes any sense. Um, Watchmen's a pretty difficult piece to adapt into a uh, a mainstream studio film, let alone one that's enjoyable to anyone who's not thoroughly aware of, of the original source material. And I think Zack Snyder did a pretty damn good job of doing just that, of making... What's one of the deeper and more complex comic books ever written into a palatable, uh, though a little bit on the long side, film? You know, I've got a lot of friends who don't know Alan Moore from, from Adam Moore. <laughs> and uh, and they, they are fans of Watchmen. You know, a lot of that, a lot of the, the, uh, the greatness of Watchmen, the movie, if you will, has to be, has to be given credit to Mr. Jack Earl Haley, who plays the character Rorschach or Walter Kovacs as he's so named, without the mask. Now, Rorschach immediately goes down, in my mind at least, as one of the great iconic superhero film characters uh, that I've ever seen. I mean, Hugh Jackman's pretty great as Wolverine, Ron Perlman's fantastic as Hellboy, but Jack Earl Haley, I mean, look, Rorschach doesn't have much to him. It's a lot of hmm, and a lot of, a lot of you know, you don't even get to see the guy's face, but but Haley brings such intensity and, and such uh respect i'd almost say you know he never goes over the top he never treats it like a cheesy batman rogue you know he he makes uh rorschach the, the tortured you know full of pathos uh vigilante that he is and i think i think you know for for, for for at least in my case uh half of my Watchmen love has to go to to rorschach and the performance by uh Jackie Earl Haley, but you know what? At the end of the day, Zack Snyder completely redeemed himself. I wasn't a fan of 300. I was nervous about what he'd do with Watchmen, and honestly, uh, I don't think another filmmaker could have made a better version of Watchmen if given the chance. You know, this it really was uh, the perfect adaptation and a pretty damn good movie, if you ask me. But then again, I'm a huge Watchmen fan, so. It may not be everybody's cup of tea. Uh, Word of warning, if you do become a fan, don't watch it uh, 20 times in one week because that's a lot of Watchmen and you might get burnt out on it for a little bit. This is the kind of film that really uh, benefits from sporadic viewings, if that makes any sense. You know, this isn't an everyday kind of thing. It should be an occasion. It should be like when you dig out your old... Well, I mean, back to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you know, what do you watch? Lord of the Rings, once a year, you watch it through... I can see Watchmen being watched once or twice a year, you know. in a, in a you know, sit down, turn the lights off, get ready for three plus hours of uh, Alan Moore brand goodness. I wonder if Alan Moore has seen the movie. I highly doubt it, but if he did, I wonder if he liked it. Food for thought to take with you to numero um, nine. Oh, I forgot my Spanish. Number nine. Number 9 is my biggest surprise film of the year with Bronson, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and starring, more importantly, Tom Hardy. And I say more importantly in this case because Bronson is one of those films where, yes, the actual movie itself is nothing spectacular and uh, it honestly wouldn't make my top ten list were it not for the titular role and performance Of Bronson by Mr. Tom Hardy Now if you're not familiar with Tom Hardy He's been in such films as Layer Cake and Rock and Rolla And he usually plays like a pretty boy gangster David Beckham looking type You know, nothing uh, that would really stick out in your memory If you'd seen him before That's why Bronson and his role therein Is all the more that astounding and impressive And I, I really do mean those words Uh... I have never ever seen a transformation. I mean, yeah, I don't. Okay, wow. Well, I, I like to use hyperbole a lot, in case you folks haven't noticed. Yes, there have been some amazing things that actors have done to prepare themselves for a role. Everyone knows Christian Bale nearly starved himself for the Mechanist. Uh, the Mechanist, the Machinist, and you know, um, uh, uh, what's that gentleman's name? Daniel Day Lewis broke his ribs in my left foot and then got pneumonia and gangs in New York and all that stuff. Well, Tom Hardy didn't do anything so extreme. Uh, the gentleman did buff himself up though, to the point of, I would be scared shitless if I saw this dude in the street. I mean, if you see rock and Roller, which came out about a year before Bronson, again, he's a big ish dude. He looks like a soccer player. He looks, you know, he looks like Beckham. Uh, Then go and watch Bronson, and the man is unrecognizable. I mean, he gave his all to this role, and it shows on screen, and I think, A, it's going to jumpstart a a fantastic career for the dude, but B, I mean, it it created one of the most iconic performances and characters that I can name in my own personal movie history, you know what I mean? Uh, Tom Hardy's performance as Bronson will be up there with the... uh, Malcolm McDowell's as Alex's and the Robert De Niro's as Bickles, and you know, just those those first real debut films where you really noticed an actor for the first time. Uh, the movie gets a lot of comparisons to Clockwork Orange. Yes, it's violent, but never to the level uh, that Clockwork goes. I mean, the violence is kind of necessary in the story. It's about, a, it's about a prisoner. I mean, again, the story is not really that integral to my recommendation of the film. Basically, uh if I was on the Academy this year, I would be voting for Tom Hardy for best actor flat out. The dude is the dude is amazing in it. Um He's recently been in talks to play Mad Max in the George Miller uh the new film in that series and I can certainly see why because after after seeing Bronson I wanna cast Tom Hardy in every movie ever made. So folks if you get the chance to definitely check it out. It should be on DVD soon. A little British film that uh that introduced me to a man named Tom Hardy in a way I never thought I would see him and I was uh blown away yeah, yeah
1: Joe! number 8
0: G.I. Joe Rise of
1: Cold G.I. Joe is there
0: G.I. Joe, uh, another movie I really had no interest or knowledge of, Um, I mean, yeah, I think I had seen a few episodes of the cartoon as a kid, but I was never a fan, I mean, it was definitely before my time, and I don't think I ever owned a single one of the toys, so I was not in the uh, G.I. Joe audience, you know what I mean, I wasn't one of the fans Clamoring for a big screen adaptation, and maybe that's why I do enjoy the film as much as I do. Now, look, I say it's Steven Summers' best movie, and that's not saying much. But in this case, I mean it really, it really is a good movie. You can kind of see why Steven Sommers is uh, a director. Finally, uh, the thing I think GI Joe: Rise of Cobra has going for it the most is it. It knows exactly what it should be. You know, it's not trying to be any kind of high art it's not trying to reinvent the way we see action movies it's not trying to blow us away with any kind of uh, futuristic CGI that supersedes a story it it, it really does exist solely to entertain uh, in much the way I assume the cartoon did, like most cartoons do. Um, in terms of like a, a just a big Hollywood summer blockbuster popcorn movie, I really don't. I can't name many that I've enjoyed more than GI Joe. Uh, it's funny. There's badass fight scenes. The performances are all good, if not if not fine, you know, which is better than good on my uh, scale. You know what I mean? You in a movie like this, a lot of times actors will phone it in, and I think. They did right by casting a lot of younger, and I'm not going to say unknowns, but, but lesser than, lesser knowns, if you will. Um, they did a good job doing that. You never, So all these guys really had something to prove to the world, you know what I mean, uh, by casting... Uh, the redhead alien chick from Star Trek in the role of Scarlett, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a lazy A list uh, sex bomb who could just walk her way through the film. You know, this girl had something to prove. Same goes for, you know, everyone in the cast down. I'd never seen Channing Tatum in a film before, but dude's fine. You know what I mean? I'm not running out to buy any Channing Tatum movies, but, like, I understand why he works. He's, he's a good leading man. Um. Now, it it made me want to go out and see the original show And and read the comics and buy the toys So if there's any, you know, uh, testament to these kind of films It's that, it's the fact that it worked You know, I'm a G.I. Joe fan now Though I haven't, you know, taken the steps to to, uh, get into the back catalogue If you will, I'm kind of busy right now But I definitely will at some point um, I wish the film performed a little better in theaters because it doesn't look like we'll get a sequel at this point, which is unfortunate because I really, I really do like this movie and I really had hopes, uh, high hopes for a franchise. You know, Steven Summers did, I think, three Mummy films if you don't count the uh, the spinoff, which I don't believe he directed. You know, and that's those are three movies which I wish could have been uh, G.I. Joe sequels because I'm not a big Mummy guy. So yeah. Summers finally hit his stride, uh, Marlon Wayans is badass again, I have no qualms saying I'm a Marlon Wayans fan, I can't wait for the prior biopic, uh, Sienna Miller is gorgeous, there's badass fight scenes, it's just a fun flick, in a world where everything has to be either groundbreaking or heartbreaking, GI Joe is fun, and I'm completely fine with that. And fun enough to put it at the number eight slot uh, for this year's best. So, Mr. Summers and uh, Team Joe, I salute you. Number seven, We talked about Mystery Team quite a fair bit. Uh, You can check out my review of it on Quick Stop or my interview on uh, episode 40 of Bag and Boarded with D.C. Pearson and Maggie McFadden of Derek Comedy. So I think you folks might know a little bit how I feel about this film. Uh, Mystery Team is the first film from Derek Comedy, which is Donald Glover, D.C. Pearson, Dominic Derrickus... Maggie McFadden and Dan Ekman. Uh, you might know them from the YouTube sensations Bro Rape or Blowjob Girl or uh, their news video. Don't jerk off on this um, Mystery Team is simply Put one of the best Debut comedy films I've seen From a group in my life you know what I mean I'm not Going to say it's uh, Monty Python And the Holy Grail level of greatness But it's pretty damn fantastic And the fact that it came from A group of what are you know Technically amateurs makes The film that uh, that much More impressive which doesn't affect The laughs at all which flow a- As regularly as any movie I've seen in theaters this year. You know what I mean? As far as most quotable movie of the year, for me, it's going to be Mystery Team*. This will be the movie that I recite lines from and, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait until the world catches on to this flick because I'm going to have some fun uh, talking to smack at people about it. Really, I mean, it, it, it's just so fresh and original and unique and there's really no kind of Comedy out there, like it. Not to say it's the best kind of comedy in the world, but it, it's certainly it, it's certainly worth checking out if you've never seen it. You know what I mean? It might not be your thing. It might it, it might not be. Uh, comedy comedies a very subjective thing. You know, I know a lot of people love the whitest kids you know, whereas I uh, don't. <laughs> but I, I really think Mystery Team is is definitely worth checking out for all comedy fans. A and B. Uh, To see what might be our next crop of new talents You know, a lot of these folks are on TV You're going to be seeing them in movies in recent years And, uh, frankly I'm fine with that You know, if this is the future of comedy, sign me up Cause, uh, I'm good Number 6 Bad Lieutenant Word of call New Orleans And with this weird and bizarre movie, uh, Werner Herzog, or Werner Herzog, as uh, cultured people like to say it, uh, solidifies himself as one of my favorite directors working on the planet. Now, I had not become familiar with the man until Grizzly Man, his uh, documentary about uh, uh, the gentleman who went out to live in the Arctic kodak somewhere in the north with grizzly bears and since then he's made rescue dawn and encounters at the end of the world and a few other films i'd seen and i i've subsequently gone and watched his entire catalog so i mean i i'm a i'm a big fan of the man rescue dawn was his first real attempt at a traditional hollywood studio film and though i thought it was great uh bad lieutenant starring Nicolas cage blows it out of the water. I mean, yes, it's far from a normal movie. It's far from a uh really plotted movie. I mean there's there's not really much of a story. What it is is Nicolas Cage, who I find extremely hit or miss and and extremely in the sense that when he misses he's awful and when he hits he's incredible. Um Nicholas Cage is is fantastic in this movie because it he's Herzog lets him do what he's good at, which is be batshit insane. I mean, there's no boundaries, there's no constraining, there's no trying not to go over the top in this film. It's basically Nicolas Cage running around for an hour and a half, uh, doing what he does best, and that's and that's being as as crazy and loud and and larger than life than possible. And um, the music is fantastic. The other performances, you know, you got Brad Dourif, Ava Mendez. Uh, Exhibit I mean everyone in the film is just uh, Jennifer Coolidge is fantastic in the movie as Nicolas Cage's mom uh just really nothing not much more I can say about the film except it's just it's just awesome I could watch it for 8 hours I wish there was a bad Lieutenant channel on TV where it was just Nicolas Cage getting to be as fucking nuts as possible because uh to me that's when Nicolas Cage works and this is when Werner Herzog works and the two of them together uh is something I know I'll watch a, a ton in the next few years um there's talk of this becoming a franchise with other directors and actors in cities in the, in the bad location series if you will bad location bad lieutenant in uh different locations thank you and uh if this is any indication where that could go sign me up for more because uh This is a dope, dope, dope flick. In a year of really dope flicks, so yeah, there's that.
1: Hey, Brendo,
0: what movies did you like in 2009?
1: Hello, this is Brendo Man with a Brendo Man Minute. I've been trying to record this a few times, and I'm going to keep it as concise as possible this time around. Um, Matt wants me to do my top three movies of the year. So I'm just going to run them down and not talk about anything else because I tend to go on tangents. I was talking about why I don't like movie theaters now, why I've seen so few movies this year. Because movie theaters drive me crazy now, assholes, texting, talking, just seems like a waste of money. But I did see quite a few. And here's my top three. Um, Number three, Anvil, The Story of Anvil. Um, I loved it as someone who was involved in music quite a bit. It just was really inspiring, and also just something I could relate to and I just loved the characters I loved the they're not characters they're people, and I loved them and um, I love their determination, but also like they're just their lives and I thought it was really great and seeing it with Matt at um in l a with Anvil playing afterwards was just a once in a lifetime experience. And number two would be a tie. I would put Up and Fantastic Mr. Fox. They are both excellent. I wanted to just put Up there, but then I just saw Van Mr. Fox this weekend. It was amazing. I loved it, but I also, I think I loved Up just a little bit more, but I'd have to put them both in there. Animation was great. The voice acting was great. I just loved them. They put me, like, it was this very magical, wonderful storytelling Um, really well done with both. I was very impressed. Lots of good animated movies this year. Um, and then number one, um, no doubt, would be, uh, Where the Wild Things Are. I saw that trailer at least 500 times, and it still exceeded my expectations, which is so rare these days. I loved, loved the characters, the story, the monsters, the island of all, more than anything. It because I, I had dreamt about that island when i was a kid and i had thought about the monsters and what they would be like and it went beyond my wildest imagination and i think that's what it was all about um and just the personalities of the characters and what spike jones did with the story was for me phenomenal and it made me feel like a kid again and I remember what it was like being a kid and and just wanting to explore and build forts and play and and just the wild emotions that you have, it was great. And I want to watch it again and again. It was wonderful. So, real quick honorable mentions, this is also where I was going really long. Um, Inglorious Bastards, Watchmen, um, Drag Me to Hell, G.I. Joe. I did enjoy G.I. Joe quite a bit. Um, funny people. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I I dug it. Really dug it. And um, I haven't seen Hurt Locker yet. I'm sure it's great. I want to see it, but I haven't seen it. And yes, I did enjoy Paranormal Activity. It scared the shit out of me. But I know a lot of people disagree. But a lot of people agree. So it's one of those movies where it's either you really liked it or you really didn't and I can understand that because some people different things scare them and for me it's it scared me and I watched it in broad daylight so there's my honorable mentions and my top three and I hope you all had a great holidays and I wish you a happy new year back to you guys thanks
0: Brendo. keep it sexy and oh Number five Star Trek Growing up, I thought you were either a Star Wars geek or a Star Trek nerd, and never the twain shall meet, as it were. Uh I don't know why I thought this. I don't know who put the concept in my head. But I had some weird uh weird notion that I couldn't like Star Trek, I wouldn't allow myself to. Now, mind you, from what I'd seen of the series, which was the recent incarnations of the TV show, I wasn't particularly excited for Star Trek, so it wasn't like I was stopping myself from doing something I wanted, but it was basically, I let him no Star Trek life. And then J.J. came along and changed all that. Um, Folks, I think J.J. Abrams is definitely this generation Spielberg. As far as a man who's just making imaginative... Um, innovative spectaculars, you know, in, in the truest sense of the word spectacular, and movies that, that both astound visually and and delight the uh, the mental side of you, too, as it were. And it took, you know, 40 years of TV shows, 40 years of movies, it took the friggin' lost guy to make me a Star Trek nerd, and and he did it, though, you know? From my first viewing of JJ Star Trek flick, I was immediately hooked, uh, I immediately wanted more Kirk, Bone Spock, you know, uh, relationships. I wanted I wanted more of the Enterprise. I wanted to find out more about the Federation. And since then, since my first viewing, I've become a big Star Trek geek. I've gone out and seen the original series. I've watched all the films. You know, I've, I've even read a few of the books. So, I mean, if anything, if anything, J.J.'s new film has ushered Star Trek onto a new generation who otherwise would have never seen it. And I say would have otherwise never seen it because, like me, unless someone like J.J. came along and suddenly hipped it up, there was very few chances I was going to check out another uh, Star Trek flick at any point in my life. Thankfully, I did, and thankfully J.J. came along, and thankfully he cast the people who did, and Simon Pegg's being in the movie certainly didn't hurt it at all. And, uh... Yeah, you know, this is. Now that G.I. Joe doesn't look like it's getting a sequel, Star Trek is definitely my franchise to watch. Uh, I'm very excited for further installations, and I am looking forward to boldly go where no uh, person has gone before, because we're all politically correct now. Nang. Number four Inglorious Bastards. Pulp Fiction is the reason I want to be a filmmaker and that I'm currently trying to uh, work my way in the film industry. And so it probably won't be a surprise to say that Quentin Tarantino is one of my all-time favorite directors. From, like I said, Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown to Kill Bill to even Death Proof, uh, there's rarely a Quentin Tarantino product I don't love. In fact, I wouldn't say there's any. I I love every single one of his movies. I consider them all, if not masterpieces, pretty damn close. And that's why I am so happy to report that *Inglorious Bastards, which is in many ways Quentin's most challenging and kind of uh, risky film, paid off so damn well. Uh, I read the script about five months before the movie went into production. I... uh, I'm lucky like that. And my immediate reaction was was this. Holy shit, it's the greatest script ever fucking written, but there's no way that can be a movie. I, I thought it was impossible. I thought Quentin had written himself into a hole, literally almost. You know what I mean? I thought his ambition has finally reached such a level that he wouldn't be able to deliver on the practical aspect of making the movie. And, and thank fuck I was wrong, because... Inglorious Bastards it is a fucking masterpiece, and I I'm saying fuck a lot because uh, I just watched the movie again for about the third time on on Blu-ray, and it's hard for me to to rationally talk about this flick anymore. It's past the uh past the pale and gone into the territory that all of Quentin's other movies have gone into, which is just it's an all-out love fest. And I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are Quentin fans, so I obviously can't say. Uh, he makes these movies for me, you know, but if there was ever a filmmaker that, that made movies right up my alley, it, it's got to be Quentin, and he made a Jewish superhero movie, basically. Uh, from everyone from the bastards to the to, to, um, Sophie's character to, 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 to I don't want to give away the ending, but to the revisionist end of World War II, Quentin made a movie... That not only satisfies every film geek fiber of my body, it satisfies the Jew fiber of my body. It satisfies the uh, action movie fandom fiber of my body. It takes care of the the World War II buff side. I mean, it's just, it's the total package. Um, It's not the perfect film ever made, you know? It, It comes so goddamn close, but if anything keeps it back, it's... It's the Bastards, you know? Not that they're not good, but we're not given enough time with them. I mean, the movie's already at three hours. I could do another three easily. I mean, give me an eight-hour version of *Inglorious Bastards, and my attention will be wrapped with the screen the entire time. Um, Quentin Tarantino doesn't make movies that often. We probably got another few years before the next... One comes out, and if it's anything like Inglorious Bastards, it's well worth the wait because Quentin has proven yet again that he really is one of the most talented filmmakers ever. Number three Observe and Report. The movie that I'm most surprised with myself liking as much as I do this year I mean yes I was gonna love Watchmen and I was gonna love a Quentin Tarantino movie but his urban report came as a complete surprise I don't even think I was aware of it during the film's production I'm, I want to get off the bat and say yes I'm a fan of Foot Fist Way though I don't love it uh, I really 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 enjoyed Eastbound and Down and I'm you know so I I'm familiar with Jody Hill's work before I saw the film Uh, That being said, I obviously love Seth Rogen from, you know, Knocked Up and Zack and Miri and Superbad and that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't put him on my list of favorite performers or comedians. So it was, to my surprise, again, and and great, great, great delight that Observe and Report is the movie that it is. And I say that because it so could have been something else. It could have easily been... Uh, A little bit darker version of Paul Blart Mall Cop. But again, if you've seen any of Jody Hill's work, you know that the man does not have uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop in him. What he does have is a mix of tragic and repugnant and disgusting and make-you-want-to-take-a-shower type context mixed in with the most hilarious and bizarre and... Stomach, gut-busting laughs that that I've ever seen. Uh, Jody seems, Jody seems, and it's and it's been developed now for the last few years. It seems through Fritz-Fist and then on the TV show. And observe, I think, is 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 fuck it. I'm gonna call it a masterpiece. I mean, if the ma- if the man makes another 20 films in his career, I'll still think. Observe and report is a masterpiece. It. Um, the darkest studio film I've seen in a really long time, maybe since Bad Santa, actually. And and I'm one who's rarely shocked when they see movies anymore, especially comedies. But there are some things in observe and report that still drop jo- uh, drop my jaw when I think about them. What else drops my jaw? Is how how incredible it is as a uh, as a fully realized film. You know, it's not just funny. A lot of times, comedies. You know, yeah, you'll laugh a, sh- a ton, but the story won't be there or the directing style won't be quite up to par or there'll be some element that's missing that'll, that'll keep it from being, uh, you know, th- a better film. Observe and Report is not only hilarious, but it's incredibly well made. It, it's it's shot beautifully. I mean, and not beautifully in the sense that, that it's got, you know, mountain vistas and waterfalls and... and blue aliens running around, but in the sense that like, yes, it's a shitty mall in Albuquerque and, and it looks like it, it's just um, I might be a messed up person for enjoying this film as much as I do, and, and I m- might be the one who needs help but uh, as long as Jody Hill continues to put out this brand of uh, shit, I don't even know what I'd call it a mix between the macabre and, and the madcap that's not bad uh, as long as as long as Mr. Hill is willing to do that I'm willing to to check out everything he ever does um please 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 if you haven't seen Observing Report yet folks check it out I promise you I promise you something different at the very least at the very most I promise you one of my favorite films in recent years What can I say about Up that every other film critic and reviewer on the internet hasn't already said um Pixar has cornered the market on animated films and they've also now cornered the market on movies in general you know I I can't name many people who make movies consistently as wonderful and magical and, and, and just wholly unique as Pixar does and Up is no exception from that rule in fact and you know this has taken me uh It's taken me quite a while to realize, but Up is by far my favorite Pixar film, you know? I I mean, I love Ratatouille. I love Monsters, Inc. Up is something that will be with me for the rest of my life, you know what I mean? It will always elicit a response. It will always elicit an emotion. It will always get a smile out of me when I think about it. Um, It's just beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful art on on another level, and especially coming from a movie that that was billed as a kid's movie. I mean, I, I... I think a lot of times people who make children's movies or TV shows or books or whatever, they pander towards kids. They don't respect kids. They don't give kids enough credit to realize that kids uh, can can feel just like adults can and they can love and laugh and, and be scared just like adults can. And Up doesn't pull any punches uh, thematically, story-wise, content-wise. I mean, it, it's... It, it, it's an amazing film in the tradition of amazing films that I haven't even seen it it's the kind of movie that i typically don't even like it's so good <laughs> you know what i mean it's um it's just so nice and and well-spirited and and uh i mean i cried during it like i'm sure all of you did and everyone else in the world did and i cried watching the special features and i cried listening to the commentary and for a movie that seems so sad uh What's amazing is how often I want to watch up how how just joyous it is, and yes, it's sad, but it's a celebration of life it's not It's not sad in the sense that the, it's a movie about death or a movie about growing old, whereas it's a it's a movie about it's a movie about life it's a movie about loving life and living life to the fullest, and especially me who 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 I dwell in such dark, morbid shit all the time, and I'm not talking about you know I'm depressed or anything, but you know. Comic books and and horror films and all that and all the comedies I'm into are, for the most part, pretty perverted. Up is just a well-meaning, simple as simple as it gets. It's old man and a kid in a house, you know, and and it, and it sings, it it soars. It um, I don't know. Up speaks to me in 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 a way that many films uh never have, and and I I honestly think it'll be it'll be looked on with the Wizard of Oz is in, in the spirited ways of the world, and uh, I can't wait to have kids so I can show them this movie. As cheesy as that sounds. <laughs> Number one, Where the Wild Things Are. So I didn't know what to, what to expect with Where the Wild Things Are from Spike Jones. Um, I knew to expect something different. I knew to definitely not expect a conventional kids' movie, and I assumed I would love it. Um, thankfully, I was right in all three of those things. Uh, so there you go, I was right again. Um, where the Wild Things Are, simply put, is a movie about an emotion. And I never thought that I would go for an as artsy a flick as it did turn out to be. I mean, and let's say we didn't know what it would be, it wasn't a kids' movie. Um, it's far from a conventional film, in, you know, it is, uh, at all. If anything, I would say it, it is an art film. It's a movie full of metaphors and symbols, and, and you know, not everything is real and not everything matters in the truest sense of, of, of plotting and, and movies. But what it is is, it's the epitome. It, it, it encapsulates. Just that feeling of being a kid more than anything I've ever, I've ever seen. And look, I, I spend a lot of my adult life dealing with childish stuff, as it were. You know, I watch cartoons and I, I read kids' books and, and I read comics and I play with toys and I color and I paint. And for 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 all intents and purposes, I'm a 25-year-old, four-year-old with a beard. <laughs> but even still, there's there's nothing that's been able to, to literally make my mind immediately travel back to what it was like to be an 8 or 9 or 10 year old kid and then Where the Wild Things happening? Um I haven't tried to write a review of the film. This is the first time I've ever really put my thoughts about it down onto wax. Uh, it, it, I'll never be able to sum up how I feel about this movie because to do that I have to sum up about how I feel about my childhood and childhood in general and life and family and just all these grand, grand concepts that are that are just too big for a movie. Too big for one story. And that's what Spike Jones and Dave Eggers have achieved in, in this masterpiece of an art. Piece of art. Because I, I don't like to call it a film. Because I don't think you can compare it to other movies. You know what I mean? I don't think I don't think it'll hold up against against a movie that's that's made to entertain in a, in a ninety minute capacity. Where the wild things are, to me, is 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 almost a love letter to just being a kid, and it's one that you can revisit whenever you need, if you need it, whenever you want, if you want to. It's just it's so much more than most movies are, at least in my opinion. You know, it's it's rarely that I'm affected as heavily as I was by this film and and uh... I don't know look I can't recommend it to everyone I, I, I because I don't know I don't know your feelings on being a kid you know what I mean and it stinks that my number one of the movie my number one film of the year is such a personal experience but I rarely have that and I you know what it stinks but I kind of I kind of cherish that I kind of I'm very thankful that, that this year my favorite cinematic experience wasn't just another Comic book movie or comedy—it was something that that really, really means something to me. You know, a lot of people have favorite paintings or favorite songs. I'm into movies; that's my thing. And and uh, when I get a new favorite movie, a movie I love as much as I do, "Where the Wild Things Are," it is like welcoming another another masterpiece into your home, and, and one that will constantly change. And and you know, I'll, I'll get something out of different out of it every time I watch it. it, it it's it's an evolving piece of art that I don't think can ever get stale, can ever get old, can ever get boring or not important or not magical. Um, I'm just I'm in love. I, I'm absolutely in love with where the wild things are, and that's not even you know mentioning the, the incredible debut performance by Max Records, the, the phenomenal voice work by James Gandolfini and Catherine O'Hara and Paul Dano and farce Whitaker and and Lauren Ambrose and. and cooper and i think i got everyone but it it, it's it's everything involved it's the costumes it's the writing it's the incredible score by karen and the kids it's 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 a singular piece of art that i would proudly hang on my wall next to a picasso or a renoir or, or any of those fancy old italian guys that i don't know anything about um if Spike Jones takes another ten years before he makes his next film, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care if The Gentleman ever makes another movie. And that's not to say that I don't want to see another one, but after Where the Wild Things Are, it's going to be pretty damn tough to top it. And um, I honestly hope he never does, because if this movie affected me this much, I can't imagine... I can't imagine something affecting me more. Well, that's it for 2009, folks, and what a pure hootenanny it was. I hope you'll join me in 12 months' time, where my beard will be a little bit longer, my eyes a little bit sadder, but my heart flying aloft like the golden bird that it is. It's been bagged and boarded, and it's been real. Happy New Year's. What? Ah. Begged and boarded. And Jesse, watch lots of movies, get mad ladies, smoke mad dobies. Begging it to away your life. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your hoe, tell your wife. Coming at you on a weekly basis, kicking up pod for your sexy faces. Who's the two kicks you wanna bone? In the secret podcast bunker, all alone. On the internet, we be the top crooks. We got issues and we owe me funny books. Homie Jimmy Moore and the dinos are chillin'. Me and JR, we got the top building. Sit down, relax, and yo and take a seat. Get ready for the top podcast. You all agree. I'll just spit loud, but I can spit faster. I'm i Matt Cohen, I'm the Jew master. I
1: got everything you could possibly want in it. An hour of bus in the Brento minute. I'm a little laid back and he's making a little Could we just talking shit? Who said the show was viable? Walking in the door, smoking that Jimmy Moore. You listen every mile by my brother with a single phone. We're just two weeks and that's the topic of discussion. Had on the slopes on the green on oh, nothing. Quick stopping night to the storming like a typhoon. It's not right, it's wrong. It's taking lots of balls. We're teaching every show, everyone celebrates. Cause we got comic movies, and a little penetration. I regret every episode as soon as it's recorded. Cause I'm down to earth and matters out of orbit. We're not White, right, right, white, right, our thoughts so are distorted. So now we present to you another bag of boarders. then and boarded, back and boarded, begged and boarded, begged and boarded, begged and boarded, back and boarded, begged and, 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 and boarded. Yeah.